Today's reading is from the book of 1 Peter, chapter 5. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favour to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Thanks, Lockie. We are this week at the end of our um, series on the Good Shepherd, which we've been doing over the last part, six weeks or so. And um, uh, it's uh, been a series where we've looked at the um, remarkable image of God as our Lord uh, through the lens of him being our Good Shepherd. It's a beautiful image. Um, one that focuses on God, that, that loves us as individuals as well as a group. He knows your name. He wants to lead you through your life. We've considered God as the, the good shepherd who leads us by still waters and fends off evil. We've thought about the kings of Israel who are good shepherds and also bad shepherds sometimes. The good shepherds who gather and the bad shepherds who scatter. We've considered the good shepherd who seeks out the lost, who knows us intimately, who leads us to pasture and who lays down his life for the sheep. And this last passage that we've looked at this morning, for, or just had read this morning from 1 Peter 5, is a practical passage. Uh, they've all been practical in a different way, but this is all practical. Uh, what does it mean for us to lead in the way of the good shepherd? That's a question we're asking. We had some insight into this last week as we looked at John 10, but here in 1 Peter 5, it's a real focus. Peter addresses the elders of the church in Asia Minor, and we're not to focus too much on this word elders. It's not the old people in the church, nor is it um, sometimes people think it's some official position in the church, but it's the leaders of the church. Um, it's not as if these instructions are specific for only people with a certain office but they apply to the leaders of the church. And so Peter talks about the church, but instead, it's, we should take notice, instead of using Paul's image of the human body to talk about the church, he talks about a flock. 
He could have used any model of leadership. He could have talked about the centurion and the soldiers, the captain and the sailors, the master builder and the stonemasons, but instead he uses shepherd and sheep. For these instructions, and we can, we can answer the question which is, given that leadership in church is really hard, how should I lead so that people follow? What, could have le- what kind of leader should I be? I say it's really hard. Think about it. The church leaders that Peter was writing to uh, were persecuted. But there are other serious difficulties you face, even if you are ministering, leading in the church in a, in a country where there is no sort of violent persecution. Uh, the difficulties you face, it's not so much the practical day-to-day things of ministry, like preaching a sermon or, or leading a group or praying for people. Those things have their own challenges, but the biggest challenge I would say for any kind of Christian leadership is the spiritual pressures, the spiritual attack, the challenge of maintaining ongoing moral integrity, a spiritual life that is flourishing, carrying the pastoral burdens of one another, dealing with people's emotional brokenness as we relate to each other, Psychologists aren't expected to have a relationship with those whom they uh, work with, but people in the church, as we minister to each other, are expected to be in relationship. That places a, a difficulty on any kind of church leadership. These are the expectations, not just for me, not just for the staff, but for anybody who wants to lead in any kind of capacity in the church. And there's we all, many people here are leading in one kind of way. And if you're not leading, it's something you should aspire to in some kind of way. But there are some countries that face real persecution as well that's, that's kind of violent and the threat of arrest. Like just this week, I was reading about the 70-year-old Baptist pastor, Chu Yu Ming, who has just gone to jail in Hong Kong for seven years for opposing the communist government, and he was doing non-violent protest to, uh, promoting democracy. And, uh, you know, that, that sort of thing happens on a weekly or daily basis around the world somewhere. So if church leaders have to consider all these kind of challenges, how should we lead? And the answer I will give you up front and then unpack it, I, I think that the answer we get from 1 Peter 5, these verses, is that we should lead with humility. That's the key word. At the heart of the Good Shepherd image, the reason why this is chosen all through the Bible as an image for for God, for Jesus, for the great kings, and for our own leadership is because it's an image of humility. Humility before God, humility before each other. And from all that, everything flows. So let's have a think about this from the passage. The first idea I want to look at is this idea that humility leads to gravitas. Peter opens his section with this sentence. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. He makes a really important connection here between Christ's suffering and the glory to be revealed. Christ's glory. Peter was a witness to the suffering. He, he was sort of a witness to the suffering, sort of wasn't. If you think about it, he, I mean, he was, 
He was there all along. But right at the last moment, when Jesus went on the cross, Peter was sort of run off, scaredy cat. But all in all, he observed Christ's suffering, Christ's painful rejection, and how Jesus responded to that rejection. We'll be reading some readings on Friday that look at that. But he was also a witness in another sense. He was a witness to Christ's sufferings in the sense that he witnessed to Christ's sufferings. So he told other people about it. Um, in old-fashioned church language, we might, might sometimes use the phrase witnessing, which is to tell other people about Jesus. Peter was a preacher of Christ's sufferings. If I am being a witness to Jesus Christ, it doesn't necessarily mean I was there on the day, but it means I'm telling others about what happened. And that's why he says, as a you know, fellow elders who share in the sufferings of Christ, yeah, he's saying that the, the leaders in the church in Asia Minor that he's writing to, who may not have been there on the day when Jesus died on the cross, are also fellow witnesses. This is the true humility that is required of the shepherd leader. Because in Peter's context, uh, in the pastor in Hong Kong's context from this this week, and many contexts around the world, you witness to Christ, you will know about suffering. And so this requires humility, and it is a humility that also leads to glory, the glory of Christ that is to be revealed. Peter was united to Christ in that suffering, and the glory of Jesus Christ shone through Peter as it shone through the resurrected Jesus. Peter was appealing to the leaders in the church and he was saying, uh, just as you share in his suffering as witnesses, you, you too share in, in, in the glory to be revealed. What I have, you have too, he's saying. You think of me as special, says Peter, because I'm the apostle who walked and talked with Jesus, but we share this in common. We are fellow witnesses. We're in this together. And so what we're talking about here is true spiritual gravitas. The weight of God's glory resting on Peter and on the elders because that's what happens when we share in Christ's suffering. We also share in his glory. The idea here, it's a ministry idea, is that the extent to which you suffer with Christ is the extent to which you will share in and shine out of the glory of Christ. And as leaders, you want that. You have access to that. Let's think about Jesus' suffering and glory. Jesus had to deal with rejected love. And that agony became Peter's agony too. Jesus' suffering extended throughout his life. And it culminated on the cross. Jesus' cousin John the Baptist, who I mentioned earlier, who baptised Jesus, was then executed. And the crowd gathered around Jesus and said, come on, mate. You're going to respond, let's, let's get an army together. And Jesus resisted. He didn't return violence with violence. He didn't retaliate. He showed true courage, true gravitas. He, led the five, he, he fed the 5,000 and offered a, a banquet of life instead of a banquet of death, which is what Herod offered. Jesus had true gravitas that came from God's glory, manifest in him. And this flowed through into Peter and into the church leaders and into any Christian who, who follows Jesus. 
This is an important spiritual point embedded in these opening words that by enduring suffering for righteousness' sake will lead to the glory of God shining in you. Paul calls it the weight of glory. Think about 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 17. Paul says, Our inner nature is being renewed every day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. This is the deep wisdom in Paul that he's talking about and in in the church leaders and the Christians that he's talking about. Deep wisdom born of suffering. In the Bible, glory means... Well, it's the same word for heavy. And in Arabic, a heavy person is is, is someone... It's like heavy. You know how they used to say it in the 70s? Heavy, dude. Is someone who is wise, honourable, trustworthy, noble and offers sound advice. This person can help you when you're in trouble. Their thoughts are deep and balanced. When the world goes crazy and there is a crisis, they will know what to do. But in the same way, you might have heard the phrase, a lightweight, that person's a lightweight. You'll probably hear that in the election campaign, so-and-so's a lightweight. It's a person who is a scatterbrain, shallow, and has opinions that nobody cares about. They cave under pressure. One is a heavyweight, one is a lightweight. Well, this is what we're talking about. But the thing is, suffering doesn't always make you a heavyweight. You can experience suffering and go the wrong way. Sometimes it leads to bitterness, despair, desire for revenge, fear and paralysis. Sometimes you can use your suffering to um, make everyone feel sorry for you and as a bat with which to threaten other people. It becomes your identity, your suffering. You don't believe that anybody suffers like you do. You want everyone to know and everyone to bend around you because of your suffering. So suffering can go either way. If you suffer, you end up in a hole and you have to climb out of that hole and depending on which way you go, depends on whether you go the bitter way as a victim, who has an identity as a victim, or the way towards Christ through obedience and humility. At Nelson Mandela's death, Archbishop Tutu spoke about the 27 years that Mandela spent in jail, and he said, I maintain his prison term was necessary because when he went to jail, he was angry. When he was released, he surprised everyone because he was talking about reconciliation and forgiveness and not about revenge. Of course, suffering embitters some people, but it ennobles others. Prison became a crucible that burned away the the dross. Mandela became the first black president of South Africa. In his inauguration, he invited one of the prison guards um, to stand with him and he hosted a lunch for the the very um, lawyer who tried to get him, um, you know, executed. Uh, Another of his uh, prison guards became in uh, one of his security guards when he became the president. So instead of starting up justice trials, if you know much about Mandela, he became, when he became president, he had Desmond Tutu lead um, uh, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Uh, so Mandela turned his suffering into gravitas. He became truly heavy. The glory weighed on him. Think again of the Apostle Paul. Five times he got the 39 lashes. Three times he was beaten with rods. 
once he was stoned to almost to death, and responds to all this, Paul says, we work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to the moment, to this moment. This is treasure, the mighty glory of God, which is in jars of clay. And it's in jars of clay, which is our human bodies, so that everyone knows that this is God's glory, not our glory. There's nothing that we've done. Paul says, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. So why do the sheep follow the shepherds? Why does the Christian joyfully submit to the authority of the elders in the church? Because they, like Apostle Peter, like the Apostle Paul, are connected in with Christ's suffering and his glory to be revealed. The glory of the wonder and wisdom of creation that is beyond our comprehension. And Peter wants the elders in the church in Asia Minor to be like the good shepherd who risks his life daily, enduring many hardships and even losing his life for the sheep. This is humility that leads to true gravitas. Where gravitas does, true gravitas does not come from charisma or skills, but comes from divine glory. Thinking about Pastor Chu from Hong Kong this week, he had true gravitas and National Public Radio in America reported on his trial and uh, they said that um, he preached the sermon of his life in the, in the dock in the courtroom. The weight of glory rested on Pastor He's been doing this for 40 years or something. He's been protesting against the, the injustices of the Chinese government. And when he was preaching this sermon, what should he reference but the good shepherd imagery from Psalm 23? Pastor Chu said, the valley of the shadow of death leads to spiritual heights. For decades I have preached numerous sermons. Little could I anticipate that the one message which preparation took me the longest time and the most heartfelt prayer and which probably would reach the largest audience is precisely this one delivered from the defendant's dock. This is what I'm talking about, a true, a Christian leader who's shepherding in the way of the good shepherd, emanating the glory of God, Pastor Chu's humility, his willingness to suffer for the sake of the gospel, has given him gumption. We used to sing a song when we were in school chapel that went, um, give me oil in my lamp, keep me burning. Know it? Well, there was an extra verse that um, we sang, which I don't know if everyone sang this, it might have just been us, that said, give me umption in my gumption, make me function. And we used to sing it at school. And so that's what we're talking about, giving me umption in my gumption. Well, the second thing that Peter talks about here is real, just simple stuff. The practical outworkings of humility. So we've talked about the gravitas. We're talking about the practical outworkings of humility now. And he just lists them. This is what it looks like at a basic level. You don't use pressure. You don't force people in Christian leadership. 
you lead. We looked at the image last week of the Palestinian shepherds who, who lead from the front and the sheep follow, whereas in, in Australia we have the sheepdog who sort of pushes the sheep. But anyway, here, here we go. This is what he says. Be collegial. Well, he, he sort of implies it, doesn't he, at the start. He says, he is a fellow elder. Peter says, he could have said, I'm your apostle and you are under me in the hierarchy of the church. But no, he says, we are fellow el- elders. Uh, last week, Joe and I watched the movie Moneyball. Great movie. I know it's a baseball film, but you don't have to like baseball to like it. If you like West Wing, you should like it because one of the writers was Aaron Sorkin. Anyway, the point is, it's a true story about a general manager uh, of the Oakland Athletics baseball team. And he functioned with about a quarter of the budget of the big teams, like the New York Yankees. And... Um, what he had to do was he tried to implement a new model of thinking about baseball um, to his team uh, using, uh, using an economist who was a genius with, with, with uh, baseball. And he applied this method that didn't require to, them to have lots of money to be able to win the games. And it started to work. But one of the, the lessons of the film is that the Brad Pitt character, who's the general manager, he always kept an emotional distance from the players because... He had to fire them. In baseball, they're ruthless. It's just week after week, oh, I've transferred you to another team, I've swapped you or I've, you know, I've dropped you. And so he didn't want to get too close. But he realised that to be able to get the team to be on side, he had to mix with them in the, in the, in the, um, in the club room. This is what Peter is doing here. He's putting himself at their level. Can you imagine what the elders thought? He's calling us, himself a fellow leader with us. That's amazing. So when we lead others, we can hold positions of authority and yet we should get alongside the people we are leading, not think that we're too good. We're working for the same goal. Secondly, uh, Peter says you've got to be willing. Part of the shepherding style of leading rather than pushing is to be a willing leader. Verse 2 says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Shepherding is not easy, but there's a deep love for the sheep that the shepherd has. And in Christian leadership, we should have a deep love for each other. There was a time at the end of John chapter 21, we, we won't read this out on Easter Day, but there's a great scene where um, Jesus is talking to Peter, who's feeling shame because he betrayed Jesus. And this is what Jesus said to Peter. After he, forgive, he forgave him three times, Jesus said to Peter, Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And he started off that that section by saying, Peter, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, take care of my sheep. You've got to be willing. Thirdly, uh, Peter says, be honest. Church leaders are allowed to earn a wage for their work of shepherding. Jesus said this was the case, the worker deserves the wages, but they can't rip off the church, can they? Part of being humble. Fourthly, they've got to be gentle. He says, not lording it over those entrusted to you. The shepherd is to lead in a gentle way, not being harsh or overbearing. A shepherd might need to rebuke. A shepherd might need to kind of, you know, stand next to the sheep and say, don't go this way, go that way, you're going the wrong way. But always to do that in a gentle way, says Peter. 
And fifthly, he says, examples. So these are all real practical things. Be examples. So the difference between a shepherd who leads the flock in a Christ-like way and a shepherd who is a bad or a bad shepherd who, who drives the, the flock is whether or not they are humble in their leadership. And by humble, Peter means collegial, willing, honest, gentle and examples. And this culture of humility extends to the whole congregation. Look down at verse 5. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. This is a thing for the whole church. So what is Peter saying? He's saying for a church to be healthy, the pastor and the congregation need to exercise humility. All leaders need to exercise humility. All people need to exercise humility. And lastly... I just want to look at how eternal glory is the reward for the humble leader. Verse 4, Peter says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. So here we return to our theme of glory. Only this time it's focusing on eternal glory. When the race is over, the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, will distribute crowns of glory as prizes to the believers who endured to the end. This is the reward for ministry as well. And Peter is being realistic. You know, he could have said, oh, now that you're all Christians, it's going to be great and you'll never experience any kind of suffering. But actually, he knows that that's not true. He knows that by following Jesus and leading the, the church, they will experience suffering. When they are in this fallen world, this will be the case. You do not become a Christian to escape your suffering. You become a Christian so you can understand your suffering, so that you can keep your eyes fixed on Jesus in your suffering because you have an eternal hope of glory with him. Your eternal hope of, of eternal life with Jesus in the new heavens and the new earth. Be encouraged, says Peter to these leaders. You may be despised on earth, but you have an eternity with Jesus, a reward of a crown of glory. The chief shepherd will appear and reward his under-shepherds. That's cool, a great imagery. Earlier in this letter, Peter has mentioned this crown, one that is imperishable, is undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven, which included praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Remember in Psalm 23, verse 5, the Lord is my shepherd, and he says, you prepare a table before me, in the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Remember the prodigal son returning home to the big party that his father threw for him. So Peter is saying, if you carry out the burden of faithfully shepherding God's flock, doing your best, because of what Jesus has done for you, because of who the chief shepherd is, you will receive a grant of glory. You don't have to be perfect. Just follow in his way. This is an encouragement to the elders towards faithful service in difficult times. The victory is certain. So let me read to you his final words in this section. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen and settle you, to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever.
Amen.